You look so professional. Is, are you gonna, is she going to listen to this? Yeah, she says she is. Good, because she's mentioned. Oh, she will be. Oh, really? Jake Lynch, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, we're we on now? Yeah, we're on. We're oh, right, I didn't realise we were on. Are you ready? Can they hear me now? <laughs> no, we're not live. <laughs> um, uh, another rugby player, but not just a rugby player, a multi-international superstar. No, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Well, people are going to start thinking this is a rugby podcast. No, I like. can't follow in the footsteps of the great Willow. <laughs> well, we've had Will, um, who's played for Ireland, and I don't know, who would be next, Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> He's like the go-to rugby player, even though he retired about 10 years ago. You never know. You might be able to get him. Yeah, hopefully. But we've got to start, I guess, with uh, how we met. Oh, it's a great story. This is one of my (laughs) favourites. Do you want to tell a story? Um, Yeah, okay. I remember it being one of the first days of year seven in high school. Seeing you stood there in the queue. I think I was stood next to you. Offered out my hand. I went, Jay Lynch, nice to meet you. <laughs> what made me laugh about that, though, was... It's like your mum said to you that day, don't forget to, to go make some friends. And um, I'd, I'd recognise you, and you come up to me, and you were talking to me, and I'm thinking, who's this guy here? And then it's just when you, you, went, you said something like, well, I'm glad, because we were in the same farm, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And you said something like, oh, I'm glad, you know, we were going to a music class or something, and I'm glad, glad I'm in the same class as you, you know, familiar face. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just the way you stuck out your hand, Jake Lynch, and you said your full name. God, I must have been desperate. At who, the time. <laughs> who does that as an 11 year old, though, like introduces himself like that? It was very uh, gentlemanly, though. Yeah, saved you properly while I was in high school. I suppose you did. Um, you, you could have stopped that bread that Will was throwing about. You, <laughs> you were part of that uh, friendship group, I suppose. I just don't condone bread throwing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was, bit, it was a bit bad, that really. Out of order, Will. Snake. So, um, what's your day-to-day life like these days? You're a man of the law. Unfortunately so. Uh, what do you do when you wake up? Extremely hectic. It all depends what shift I'm working, where I'm working, and what goes on, essentially. Do you prefer shifts, then? Um, yeah, you can... It's, it's difficult at times. It's difficult to see around and plan things with friends, family, stuff like that, but... You work around it and make it work, so... I prefer shifts. Yeah, I mean, it is for some people. Like I said, I don't mind it, um, but obviously people with children and stuff like that find it hard, but, mm. you know, it works okay, to be fair. Well, we've um, we've actually worked together before, haven't we? You and me. Yes, we have. It was probably the most boring job I've ever had, and probably you've ever had. Yeah, 100%. What's funny is... That job, we had to pretend we didn't know each other. I know, and I don't even know why we did that, to be fair. It's because you told me about the job and I interviewed for it. And If I said I knew someone that worked there, I was worried that I wouldn't get the job. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I got the job and then they actually sat us next to each other, didn't they? Oh, this is where you ignored me playing your music all day, wasn't it? Because <laughs> you used to do me, Eddie. You'd like, even though we knew each other, you'd ask me what football team I support and what school I went to. <laughs> So uh, you'd be like, so do you support Bolton or United? Well, you were going through that transition where you was a bit of a wanderer. <laughs> but I just, I had to answer every question that you already knew the answer to. Well, let's keep you on your toes, mate, that's all. But you, you'd wind me up all day on that job, honestly. You can certainly spend too much time with someone. <laughs> yes, you can. Because you took the car crash on route one day. Oh, funnily enough, I was going to mention that. Because <laughs> um, it was really icy. 
<laughs> you went into the back of someone, so your fault. And got away with it, may I add. Well, it was. you said it was because it was icy, but I don't think it was anything to do with the ice. <laughs> it was, it was icer. Yeah, but you were obviously, it was icer. Yeah, but you were obviously too close to him. Yeah, probably was. Bit of inexperienced driving and him slamming on his brakes. Well, you went home that day with a sore neck. Um, <laughs> I had to get the bus on that day, so <laughs> nice one. And I actually had a sore knee. I had no symp- yeah, you're not claiming from me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. You just the day off. I had to speak to my insurance company. Oh, yeah, that 10 minute phone call. Yeah, and got to the bottom of uh, that rascal as well. Oh, yeah, it was a bit of a dodgy one, wasn't it? Yeah, um, phoned him up late that evening, and there was only him and someone else in the car, and on the back of on the. Uh, on the phone call to him, I could hear someone in the background going, oh, say I was in the back of the van. So I was thinking, oh, it's, it's not quite right. So mm-hmm. I said to him, I said, what type of insurance do you have? He was like, oh, it's my business, it's my com- like, company van. I work for a company and this is the van they give me. And I was like, oh, right, okay. I went, are you insured to carry people who aren't employees of the business in there? And he, he paused. Next thing, he gave me his manager's number and I spoke to the manager and uh, he wasn't insured and he could only use it for work purposes and he evidently wasn't using it for work purposes yeah. so technically he wasn't insured to drive that van that time so I got away with it yeah he, he don't, want, don't want any dramas does he I call myself Jay Loophole after that <laughs> no one's ever called you that since <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, one of today's stories uh, in the news was this really is an alien world NASA shares new pictures from Mars landing Oh, well, that's exciting. But once Elon, Elon Musk sets up his uh, commercial flight to Mars or space, whatever he's doing, yeah. if you had the money, would you go? Yeah, well, I think he's an alien anyway, that guy, Elon just Musk. for the record. Why do you think that? Well, he come on the scene from absolutely nowhere. He created PayPal, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I think so. Well, still gone from nowhere. Oh, <laughs> well, anyway. PayPal, yeah, nowhere. And he looks like an alien. <laughs> and you've seen what he called his child as well. I don't know the actual name, but if you Google it, it's something ridiculous. Uh, get it up, Jamie. All right. No, I'm, I'm no. <laughs> I thought you meant me. <laughs> um, Elon Musk is a bit of a weird name as well. Yeah, Elon Musk. just look at him. He's got boggly eyes for me. That's it's an alien all day. So would you not go? Yeah, I'd go. You would go? Yeah. You'd go to space? Yeah, they need law enforcement in space. <laughs> Would you not be worried about? Would you not be worried about running into an alien spacecraft? No, I don't think so. I think I've watched enough uh, films to know I could cope. Do you believe in aliens? Uh, yeah, probably so. Yeah. This is getting a bit Joe Rogan now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I like it. Well, anyway, let's start with your most embarrassing moment, which is arriving late on the first day of the police. And yeah. walking in while over 100 people stared at you. Yeah, so on the intake that was on, there was 100 offi- new officers starting. Um, and they have everyone in a big hall at the start, and you've got sergeants there, inspectors there, you've got trainers there, everyone. So there's probably about 120 people in total. I, you're supposed to start at 7 o'clock. I rocked up at like 10 to. And I thought, oh, I've got plenty of time here. And then this guy says to me, he, I go into the security booth and go, oh, where do we need to go? And they point me in the right direction. And this guy, who I still know now, he's called Stephen Fletcher, like the footballer. Um, he said to me, he went, oh, wait, I'll, I'm new. I'm, I'll come with you. But he was in his own, like, we're all in our own clothes and stuff. And he disappeared to the toilet. And I'm looking at me watch and I'm thinking, 
Oh, it's fucking, it's like two minutes to now. So I'm panicking then thinking, sorry mate, I don't know you, I'm going to leave you. So you're, is this an induction? So this is day one, so this is when you go, yeah. meet all your trainers, whoever else is in your class, right. get all your uniform, stuff like that. So it's training, you're not going out on the job? No, so it's, it's just training, but it's yeah. a bad impression, isn't it, yeah, to yeah. start with. So this guy's in the toilet, so I just thought, can't wait for you so I just left left him there and you just met him yeah I just met him left him there and then I remember there was a sergeant this uh, female sergeant stood outside the room she went oh what's your name so I obviously told her my name and she was like oh you cut it very fine haven't you and I literally you had to press this uh, to get into the hall there's two sort of double doors that open so you press the disable button they open up but the one the internal one was really creaky so it opened and it was really creaking. Everyone's gone quiet and there was just me in the doorway just walking in. I probably had like 100 and odd eyes on there. Did you go red? Yes, I did. I went bright red and just found my seat and sat there and that was it. <laughs> Were you proper sweating? I was. I don't like when the uh, all eyes are on me, so... Has it ever been mentioned since? No, no, luckily you're enough. Not, you're not that guy that was late on the first day. No, there's been worse than that, trust me, so. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, that's Stephen Fletcher, what happened to him? I don't know, if, if memory serves me right, I think he's uh, he's in Bury now, doing it, so. Was he, so he, he must have been late though. Yeah, but he got away with it so much because when he would come in, I think it was like five or ten minutes after me as well, so good job I wasn't waiting for him. At this point, they already got people going up, getting the bags full of uniform and that. So there was a lot of movement and stuff then. So kind of, he just sort of fit in quite nicely, undetected. <laughs> Whereas everyone stared at you. Yeah, I wish I'd just waited for him now and I would have. And did, but they didn't mention it in front of everyone. Like, no, look no, at this idiot. No, thank God. I probably would have run out. <laughs> yeah, that is horrible. I hate stuff like that. Yeah. I just don't like when all the attention's on me. I don't like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Your scared moment. Mm. Now you mentioned it was after you br- your one of your breakups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we won't go into details, but was it scary because this was your first long serious relationship? Uh, um, yeah. So with regards to saying you're scared, I remember sat there um, not long after it. We just bought an house. We were doing the house, so it was completely ripped out. Literally. The summer, what, two two months before it happened, um, we were talking about trying for children the next year. So it was a really serious relationship. Yeah. Um, and then, literally, before you know it, it's all pulled on your feet. And I think with regards to that, I panicked then. Um, I, was, I started getting anxiety. I've never been one to suffer with anxiety. And I started getting anxiety really bad. Like, I was... Um, can't think of what it's called now, but um, you can get this stuff over the counter. Um, and you basically, you just do drops on your mouth and it eases anxiety. Right. So I was getting that by the bottle and I was literally having like a bottle every sort of few days. That's how anxious I was becoming. It's not like that CBD oil. Whatever no, um, I can't think of what it's called. Um, it's like I said, you buy it from supermarkets and it's just for anti-anxiety. Um, it's an awful taste and as soon as you feel anxious, you start doing it. Does it work? Uh, yeah, for me it did. Um, but obviously everyone's different and that, for me, that started, I started taking that probably end of October. Um, so... Our relationship was fine, well, I thought, until sort of middle, late September. 
and then I was on my driving course and she was just diving in funner and then sort of end of November uh, end of October sorry um, he started getting worse and then I started getting really anxious then lo and behold she ended it and then I like I said I was sat there and I was thinking where where do I go I've got an house here now which I don't know what I'm going to do with I thought I thought I was with someone who we were going to eventually have children with and then next thing, I was panicking, thinking, I'm getting old. Like, Which, you're 27. Yeah, well, I know, and now, time you're even at, now yeah. when I look back at it, I think, God, I wish I could just shut myself and go, right, Jesus. Yeah, but you did, it's all happening at once, isn't it? Yeah, so, with being scared, it was probably the scariest moment in my life, because I feel like it was at this point that I had sort of no control on what I could do. So, the breakup was out of my hands, I had no control on that. The house, I had no control on that because as literally there was only so many options that I could have and they were kind of forcing me really because it all depended on what she was gonna willing to do. And then, like I said, it just it all snowballed then and I just sort of got scared thinking, Jesus, what, what's what's next? I bet you were scared as well because you said you'd never got anxious before and the fact that you had to... It's a new feeling, isn't it? So yeah. I you're thinking... I... You didn't know how to handle it. <laughs> I don't think I've told anyone this, to be fair, but I remember being at work, sat in the car, and I was having to take this, and I remember just breaking down one day, and I was just like, God, it's just ridiculous. Um, and that, it's just like I said, it's like any breakup, isn't it? You go through the rough, and then you, you come out on the other side. Yeah, so. breakups are horrible. Yeah. Um, how long were you scared for? How long did it last, um, that scared period? Obviously, uh, after it, you do loads of sort of soul searching on Google and try and find answers to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go through all the different stages after um, a breakup, and I'd probably say for me the scare period was for about a month. Right. Um, and I think that's because I didn't have a plan in place. Luckily, like my parents helped me, my family helped me, um, and obviously, you know, my friends have got a good group of friends cheers mate um, barring you <laughs> um, and I think all that combined everyone sort of you know mucked in and I think everything sort of slowly come round and made me realise there's no reason to be scared because ultimately there's always options there's one door closes like my mum says and another one opens Mandy's a wise lady yeah very wise did you worry you'd never sort of get over her? Because you, you, you go through that first, don't you? I worried that I'd never meet anyone again. Really? Good looking lad like you, no, international no. superstar. You're flattering me get now. I don't know what you're trying to get out of me. <laughs> Just here for the podcast. <laughs> no, but yeah, you do, I suppose. Maybe you think, I'll never meet anyone like that person. Yeah. Well, when it's, there's... I think once, when you're sort of, and I'll say the victim of a breakup, you put that person on a pedestal so you think that they're the be-all and end-all and that they're amazing and that they can't do anything wrong. Now, that's never right. It's just how you feel at the time. So I did think, oh, God, I'm never going to meet anyone like that again. Um, But what a load of nonsense that is, to be fair. Did You you mentioned you thought you were getting old. Did you? It's a bit of a daft one, but did you think... 
everyone else is settling down now and I've got to start again sort of thing. Yeah, because I mean, like, obviously, personal friends outside of work, friends inside of work who are, like, roughly the same age, they're, like, engaged, married, kids, houses, stuff like that. And I don't know, you kind of compare yourself to people and it's the worst thing to do. You can never compare yourself to people because everyone walks a different path in life and one person may have done one thing and someone could have done something completely different. Um, but it's natural to do that and that's what I did for a large part of it and like I said, that doesn't help you at all. You got back into fitness though. You do, you sort of look after yourself after that month period or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you got really fit then, didn't you? Yeah, so... Lost a bit of weight. I mean, to be fair, um, it kind of all come out of a good time with COVID as well, I must admit, because... Um, I was probably down in the dumps, like I said, um, around Christmas. Christmas was awful, genuinely awful. Um, January, February come, and again, I was just like, not there. Um, and then I was speaking to a lad at work who I work with, and his brother um, called Luke Hume. He's a bodybuilder um, from Salford, um, really nice lad, and good personal trainer as well, to be fair, if anyone's ever interested in it. Um, First plug on the All or Nothing podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm on commission. <laughs> um, but no, he's uh, he was really good. Um, he did me up diet plans, training programs, stuff like that. And then obviously the first, uh, well, COVID hit. Um, and then we went into that lockdown and I just used the time that I wasn't working in that lockdown to sort of better myself. Lost some weight, felt a lot happier then. You know, I'm just kind of got back into doing things I enjoyed, which I always enjoyed doing some sort of sport or some sort yeah. of like physical activity. Um, but I kind of put that on sort of the back burner when I was with my ex. Um, so it was just nice that for me was that first sort of turning point of getting me back essentially. And I saw the whole thing. I, I saw you when you were down because I'm a yeah. close friend. We're close friends. Um, and I've seen the difference in you. Even, yeah. Even I mean, you met somebody else now, but even before yeah. that, I noticed you were you were happier. You were just happier yeah. in yourself. Yeah. Um, like I say, it takes a while, but you become sort of. It's nice to then have your own time. It's nice then to sort of do the things that you want, and I think that's important. You've got to you've got to be happy and enjoy doing what you're doing. Yeah, you, you've got to, after a break, you've got to find yourself again in, in a way, haven't you? I know yeah. it sounds a bit cheesy, yeah. but you do. You've got to. Um, Realise it's, it's yeah. not just another person that makes you happy. It comes from, as Will said on the uh, podcast last the other yeah. day, it comes from within happiness. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I do agree with that because, like I said, people can be trying to cheer you up, people can try and make you feel better, but at the end of the day, you're the only you're the only key to sort of your own happiness and unlocking that happiness anyway. And you were feeling good, and you were giving off good vibes, and then. Look what happens, you've met yeah. someone new. Yeah. Um, um, how long have you been seeing each other now? Um, I think around six months now. Um, it's going really well, she's a really nice girl. Yeah, I've met her, she's lovely. Will yeah. she be listening to this? Uh, I think she might be, yeah, so best to uh, give her a good word. <laughs> no, she's uh, she's really she's really nice. Yeah, she really seems lovely. Caring and a genuine person, so no, let's see uh, Let's see how this goes. Good, very happy for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, your angriest moment, now... Malta versus Spain Rugby World Cup qualifier. Yeah. Now, how important was this game? Oh, it was very important this to me. Like to be fair, um, it's 
Malta's obviously, as you know, is only a small place, so you pull together a team. And for this qualifier, we have quite a lot of players who, there's quite a few playing the Super League over here and quite a few playing the Australian NRL um, who do play for Malta, like Jared Summer and a couple of others. Um, but they weren't allowed to play in this game. So you've got to then try and field a team that are purely from Malta, not heritage players like myself. Um, and obviously the sport over there is it's, it's, it's kind of a dead sport. Like it's football over there or that's it. So you've got to try and get a team of like 13 lads um, who've not real much experience of playing rugby before to like sort of, you know, give a good account of themselves. And we trained really hard leading up to it, um, and we were in Valencia, and there was myself and a few from over here who were the heritage players who were allowed to play in the game. And that heritage, who, who is it? So it's from my granddad's side, but it's like my mum and stuff like that, so that's how I qualify for it. Right. Um, I remember playing it, and yeah, the first half we didn't give a good account for ourselves at all. We, we were awful, to be fair, and I think we were 30 points to six down at half-time. So you started the game? Yeah, so I, I played up the whole game. Um, like I said, at half-time, we were 30 points to six down. The ref, believe it or not, for a Rugby World Cup qualifier was Spanish. <laughs> is that is that allowed? You tell me. Right? So the actual ref for the game was Spanish. Right. No biased involved, then. Well... You just knew when you was going to a scrum and that you were speaking Spanish to the other team. You're like, oh, wow. That's not right, eh? Well, um, they ended up beating us. I think the score ended up being um, something like 40, 38 or something like that. It was quite a high-scoring game. Because 40 to 38, two points in it. Yeah, and it got to the point where um, we, we were scoring tries quite late in the game to sort of get it close. And the touch judge as well. So the ref was Spanish. One of the touch judges was English. And the other touch judge was Spanish as well. Where are all these Maltese officials? Well. Probably in the plane in the team. <laughs> they were, I think. Or the water, whatever. But, um, it's annoying because it got to the point where you were like, once you score a try, obviously you got to try and do the conversion and stuff like that. Or what you can try and do to speed it up is do a drop goal. Um, but the one of the touch judges would get so both touches have to get behind the sticks, obviously, see if it goes through. One, the English lad was running to behind the sticks because he knew he was in a rush, and then you'd look and bloody the Spanish touch judge was just like walking, whistling to himself, and just being <laughs> like, "Come on!" Yeah. So we just got robbed. It was absolutely a farce. We made a complaint to the European um, Federation for Rugby League. Did it go anywhere? No. They're just not bothered. They're genuinely, genuinely not bothered. Because they know that, they know in reality that Malta, other countries like that, like Spain, Greece and stuff like that, very, it would be extremely rare for them to ever get to a World Cup. So they just wash their hands of it straight away. It's not fair, is it? You want consistency and you want fairness. Otherwise, mm. like... I'm going to use the platform of this podcast to... Petition uh, that game to be reviewed. Yeah, no, you should do. I don't think it'll get overturned, but. <laughs> no, I don't think uh, they'd be interested in listening I to I managed to take a, a match ball from it, which was good. Did you? Yeah. Is that the one you give to Chuck? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I give it to Chuck. 
Yeah. The Spanish one. <laughs> you were desperate to give him that ball. Yeah. Did, did he play in the game, Jock? He was the manager at the time. Right. But he was the manager who gave me my first opportunity to play for Malta. Um, so. You owed him. I felt like it was nice to give him. Plus, I know he went through a really bad time with depression. And that's why he ended up standing down from being the manager, to be fair. Um, and he moved over from Sydney to Malta. And he, he was the one who tried to grow rugby in Malta, to be fair. And he sort of put down a lot of his own money to try and get that happening. Because the government over there think he'd give the Maltese rugby um, €10,000 a year. And that's to try and run a domestic campaign as well as any international games. Mm. So you're never ever going to achieve that. Do you know what I mean? Were you angry for the whole game or was it just the end? It was just... I wanted, I hated losing whenever I used to play rugby as a child. Like I hated losing. Um, but sometimes you'd have to hold your hands up and say, do you know what, the other team were a better team. But when decisions were going against you constantly, like one of their players stood up, punched one of ours, yeah. our lads just grabbed hold of him like round the collar, shirt, and then hit him back. Our lad gets sinned and he didn't. Got, well, he didn't get sent off or anything. No. So, and they got the penalty for it. So it's just, it was just like decisions like that. And yeah, you just think, stunk a bit of that, doesn't it? Yeah. So, well, he probably said well done in Spanish to him. So, <laughs> but. How long after the game were you angry for? Uh, Are you still angry now? I am angry now still, to be fair. I can feel the tension in the room, Billy, talking about it. It has gone away over time. But no, um, after it, we we do what we always do and go for a good drink. Um, We refuse to go with the Spanish players. (laughs) You can't say that. We can. We're Spanish, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, The referee was with them, actually. Did you, like, when you were so annoyed, did you, like, did you, at that time, did you lash out at anyone, like, snap at anyone, like your teammates or your family or friends or anything uh, like that? Probably teammates, to be fair. Um, rightly or wrong, we, we had a, a young lad on the wing, and that's where they kept going in, really, and he, he just wasn't up to it, and it's difficult, because obviously, I played rugby for quite a while when I was, you know, when I was younger, and it's one of those, it's, um, you kind of expect everyone to be on the same wavelength here. And this is this game was like this lad's like third ever game in his life. And he just wasn't up to it. And we know that, but I kind of put a bit of an onus on him for losing. Did you? You blamed him? I, I didn't blame him directly because oh, it was a team effort. But like, I was angry that I didn't want to say anything to him. So I kind of just stayed out of his way for like literally a full 24 hours because I just didn't want to say anything to him. So you're all at the bar drinking, he won't. So drink, <laughs> drink up, lads. He's on his way. Oh, no, it's him. Let's go. <laughs> oh, that's tight. Well, I know. But no, it, it's one of those. I think anyone who's been in sports don't doesn't like to lose. No one likes to lose. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's easy to criticise other people's performances instead of your own. I mean, that's it. Well, this is the same. <clears throat> well, it was it was the same World Cup uh, that Will played in Australia. So if you'd have yeah. won that game, you'd have been playing in Australia. No. no. So there's more processes to go through. And right. um, if we would have won that, we would have had a another game against a weakened Greece team. Why weakened? Because. Equally, like, they're very similar to us, but they 
have even fewer sort of eligible base players over in the UK right. and their sort of um, professional players wouldn't have been able to play. Then with regards to that then, we would have gone through to another stage, which is another sort of mini sort of tri-series, and that's when you can have like an endless amount of sort of Super League NRL players playing yeah. there, so the intention was to throw them in then. And like I said, there's some really, really, really good players um, who are eligible and who are all willing to play if we would have got through. So it's a bit of a, you know, bit of kicking the teeth really, but... Yeah, but you did well uh, to even get to that position, really. Um, that would have been mad, though. Two lads from Swinton playing against each other in a World Cup. I imagine that. Ireland versus Malta. The grudge match. The grudge match. Sky Sports would have been all over it. Uh, ah, don't worry about it, mate. The World Cup sounded rubbish anyway, the way we'll describe I it. I know. Who want to go to that in Australia? <laughs> um, moving on to your saddest moment, you said uh, the loss of your granddad. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, it's something that happens to everybody. This is horrible. Um, when did he die? Uh, he died. God, I'm gonna have to remember the year now. It's um, he was 58. It was probably about 15 years ago now. Oh, that's young, isn't it? Yeah, he died of asbestos, and um, I was no, it had been longer. I was 11 at the time, so 17 years ago now. Right. Um, so asbestos was he? Was that through his job? Or? Yeah. So essentially, he. He was Maltese and he moved over here when he was younger. Um, he ended up working on the ship canal um, where Lowry is now and uh, on the ships there, um, obviously full of asbestos. Um, he got that, but it's a disease that it stays with you for like 30 years and it remains undetected for that time and then eventually it comes up and it starts affecting your lungs and stuff. So when did he, did he know he had it? He didn't know he had it until probably a year or so before his death. So he, did he know how long he had it when he found out he had it? Um, obviously they told him that's what happened, yeah. but literally, you know, you'd go from, you know, you could, if you did a time scale, like you'd have a picture of him there, like the year before he'd look fit and well, and mm. then I remember a year later, um, he's bed bound and couldn't do much for himself. Really? And, yeah. It can affect you that quickly? Yeah, um, unfortunately, and you know, the hospitals and stuff tried doing as much as they could for him, but that was it. He was not a lot, and I was always really close with my granddad, and my nana, to be fair, because me and Ryan always used to go to theirs after school, they always used to pick us up, because obviously my mum and dad were working, and then even like when we weren't, we were always there, um, so... You know, I always used to like finishing school, getting round there, and he'd yeah. be watching his like animal programs because he was always mad for them. Mm. Um, it's just stuff like that. And, like you know, I, I do think to myself now, like it would have been nice to have still had him around because you know I was only young at that point. It would have been nice to sort of go into adulthood with obviously him there. Definitely. Um, I mean, it's such a young age for it to die as well. Fifty eight. Yeah, especially when you look at it now, I mean, mum probably won't thank me for this, but she's getting on, she's getting to that age, so, uh, you know, it's, cut that out you no, it's, it's, it's one of those, it makes you realise, like, it is a really young age. Yeah. So it was um, your mum's dad, was it? Yeah, I don't speak to my dad's family. Okay. And that's another story for another day. <laughs> for the bellends, if you're listening, you're bellends. <laughs> you can't say that. I can. Um... So he was the first 
closest person to you that passed away, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, real sort of figure in my life, really, who passed away. Um, you know, and he was a really, really, really good guy, really caring guy. Um, but like I said, it would have been nice just to go into adulthood where you could have made sort of more memories with him. Yeah, what are, what are your best memories of him? Um, just being obviously a Malta with him and stuff like that. That was when you could sort of, even being young, you could tell that was when he was more at sort of ease at home and felt very relaxed. Um, like obviously he taught us all how to swim over there, messing around on the beaches, stuff like that. Um, and remember he had um, two really good friends, um, one called Ginger and one called Berry Joe. Right. Who's a Maltese, which is hilarious, I find. <laughs> um, but he lived in Berry for a while, hence the name Barry right. Joe. Um, oh, so you meant Berry's in the place? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't quite get the reference. No, so he lived over here, so I right. called Berry Joe. Um, and I remember being sat there and, you know, seeing them all together, and like, they, they could go like a year without speaking and then just meet up and it'd be absolutely fine again. So I remember being in Malta one year, we were all there, all my mum and her, her brothers were all there, literally all my cousins, there was loads of us and, you know, it was just nice because that was sort of, for me, the last sort of main family holiday that we had really of everyone being together, so. Yeah, it's it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, what, I mean, they're gonna go, I'm going to go a bit deep here, what, what do you think happens when you die? Um... Well, I don't believe you come back as a, as a tortoise or anything like that. For you example. don't believe reincarnation? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to believe in someone else because I wouldn't like to think you just die and that's it, you're six feet under or your ashes. I don't like to think like that. Um, yeah, I'd like to think there's something else, something more in the uh, post-life. You think you go somewhere? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I won't be very Maltese if I didn't believe in that. Oh, it's a very religious country, isn't it? Yeah. Are you a Catholic then? Yeah, certainly am. Well, we went to a Catholic school, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I hope we all go to heaven and have a pint. That'd be nice. Yeah, you might go to hell, though. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> uh, moving on to your disgusted moment. You've mm. said jobs at work and an industrial accident in particular. Are you allowed to talk about this? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think... So this industrial accident job, Yeah. do you remember getting the call for this? Yeah, I remember getting the call and um, essentially it was um, come in as someone hit over the head of a pipe like a metal pole. So I'm thinking, I'm on route, I'm thinking, okay, we've potentially got an offender here, um, but it wasn't a pole, it was a 30 foot steel girder. Wow. Yeah. Someone's hitting with it. No, someone's doing really well to hit him with that. <laughs> Jesus. There's some strong people out there. Yeah. No, not the Hulk. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was an accident, a workplace accident. Right. Um, but obviously, as you can imagine... But you, but you were initially told that someone's hit. It was just the way it sounded. So obviously, whoever's contacted the police obviously was really panicking mm. so the call handlers do obviously a wonderful job because they've got to try and calm people down and get as much information as they can 
Um, but that's how it come across when we were going. And then when you got there, it was very evident what had happened. Right. And um, unfortunately for this guy, uh, the structure, like the metal sort of beam has fell, hit him on the head. And he's dead? Yeah. Was it a... Who was to blame? Was it health and safety issue? Or what? Um, I mean, to be fair, I don't know if this has actually gone to sort of coroners or the health and safety executive yet, so I probably can't say too much about that. But um, as you can imagine, these this is the disgusting part was there wasn't much left of his really? of his head, to be honest. Oh wow! And you saw that? Yeah, I had to body cam it. Oh no! So. Was that the, the, the worst thing you've seen in um, job? When you saw it, did you feel sick or anything like that? No. It, it's weird, I find, with this job, the, the gory, the things, the less believable you think they are, if you get what I mean. So it's like some out of a film sort of thing. Yeah, essentially. Um, you do see some awful stuff. I mean, you know, I've had... You know, Unfortunately, you go to a massive variety of stuff, so like baby deaths, they're never easy to go to. Um, they're always quite difficult. I volunteer when I hear them come in, I volunteer to go though. Is there some people that will not go to them, sort of things? I don't know. I mean, you can't, if you're the only person left to go, you're going, do you know what I mean? So you can't really refuse. But the way I look at it is something like a baby death, for example. I don't have children yet, so it doesn't affect me as bad as it would affect someone who's got a young child. So that's why I'd rather take the bullet and go for them, um, essentially, because it, it they're not easy. I think one of the jobs that's lasted with me the longest um, was a hanging. And, you know, it, it was something like off one of these horror films, to be fair. Um we, we go to this apartment, the door's shut, there's a smell coming from inside, and we force the door open, and in straight ahead of you, you could see there was a faint light coming from what you could tell was a kitchen there, because there was like a little lamp on the kitchen side. So you've seen that doorway where the light was coming from, but then because of the light, you've seen that the corridor bent to the right just before that room, but that was pitch black like pitch dark you couldn't see anything so I got my torch out and I'm walking forward and I'm thinking right do I go straight on or do I go right first and I decided to go right and as I went right um, there was a, a poor woman hanging there on the back of the door so as I've turned around put my torch straight up she's just staring at me wow and that that freaked me out to be fair um, were you on your own? I was with two other people at the time um, and the thing that stayed with me from that job, I, weirdly enough, it's the only job so far where I sort of had visions about it and thought about it for about two months following that job. Did you have any time off? Or no, like no. Um, and you kind of bottle it in. I mean, obviously, you know, obviously listening to last week's podcast with Will and going through what he did like I think there's a stereotype where we do bottle things up a lot because you're a masculine guy like Will I'd say uh, well you flatter me now but um, <laughs> uh, no I mean like I remember going like in at home I remember going downstairs oh it was at my ex's house at the time and at 
down the bottom of the stairs was a coat hanger. And the way the coat was situated on it reminded really? me of that. So every time I'd walk down the stairs, I'd just vision this woman hanging. And that's what I did over and over and over again for a couple of months. Then I thought... Let's get rid of the coat hanger. Well, and that's what I decided to do. I thought, let's just move the coat. Yeah. But even with moving the coat, I still was thinking about it. Yeah. Because the thing that got me was... She was... She was in her 60s, late 60s. Hanging is a very sort of masculine thing to do. You, you mainly, it's you, you men that do it. It's very <clears throat> rare that it's women that do it. And the fact how she was in the late 60s, you like to think that you've dealt with all the shit in your life by that point. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. you're probably on the point where you, I don't care. Um, and then from where she was positioned... You know, there was a little stool underneath her. And for me, at any point, she could have stopped that by standing on that stool. But it also freaked me out a bit because that's how determined she was to do it. So even when she was struggling, she could have stopped herself and decided not to. Obviously, I'm not an expert in hanging, but like, yeah. for me, the stool was right there. So could she have stood on it? She could have easily reached the stool to sort of prop herself up. But heavy that in it um, yeah it, I mean like I said it, you've got a heavy job though you've got a, you can see these things aren't you yeah but like I said you kind of sort of deal with them and that's it I mean you don't, what's mad is you don't hear about this sort of thing on the news do you like no. all the worst you know, accidents and, and suicides and everything like that you, you don't hear about it and it, it's it's happening every day isn't it and you, yeah. you see it you're front line for it so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna stick with you things like that. Do a lot of people, a lot of police officers go off with stress. Um, yeah, and you you do get a lot um that go off with sort of these sort of issues, and it is hard because you know it's it's not all the glitz and the glam that you see on these programs like ro- like police wars and whatever else yeah. and road traffic programs. Like, genuine response is a really difficult job. Like, one minute you could be dealing with domestic, next thing you could be going telling, like, the mum that her 18-year-old son, son's died whilst travelling to Thailand, which we've had to do. Yeah. So, and then you're watching as, like, a woman's world just falls apart in front of her. And it, it is heavy. It is really, really heavy. And you as your own response, are you trained to deal with someone like that? you have specialist trained officers to deal with grieving families. Yeah, so what you can do is you've got what you call um, family liaison officers and they can assist as much as you can as and when they're available. But ultimately, you might be, like I said, more often than not, you're the, the, you're the one who has to tell them that. Has working for the police giving you like a stronger stomach for things like this or would this sort of thing never usually bother you? Um... I always laugh and joke saying when I'm older I'll probably be really messed up in the head to be honest but I don't know I think it's made me a lot more resilient with certain things Um, and if I'm honest it kind of wears your patience down with a lot of things as well yeah Um, I'd like to think I'm normally quite a patient guy um, but certain jobs certain people you just instantly know straight away that 
you ain't got the time for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, you better see a lot of time wasters and idiots. Yeah, um, but like, like I said, genuine people then, you know, but like I said, like, you know, the answer to your question, yeah, it has made me sort of more resilient to sort of... Thicker skin. Yeah, because the only way you can deal with it and the only way you can describe it is if you're not in the job is you've got to develop a sixth sense of humour. So you go back to the neck and you might have a laugh and a joke about a job, something that's quite a bad job. And it's not to sort of belittle or, you know, take the piss out of whoever it is. It's just your own coping mechanism to sort of try and laugh it off in essence. I think that's quite a healthy thing to do. Um, I mean, luckily, I've always had really good teams who I've worked with where we kind of bounce off each other. So I've always been quite well, but if you're on your own and, you know, you don't really have a good team that you don't get on with, then it probably is a, a very sort of dark and hard place to be in. Well, if you said, if you didn't use that, you know, humour, it would, you'd just get a load of depressed police officers every day, wouldn't you? Because... You probably do anyway, to be fair. <laughs> the wage you're on, so... Yeah, otherwise it'd just be all doom and gloom, yeah. wouldn't it? So no. you've, got, you've got to sort of find some, you know, light in the job when it comes to dark issues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, your surprise moment uh, was, now this is an interesting one, a suspected death where the guy was alive in bed, so this is obviously uh, another job in work. Yeah. Um, uh, who said he was dead? Right, so this guy was quite an old guy. It is quite a funny story, to be fair, um, but I've never been so shocked and surprised in my life. Right. So uh, we get told that they've not seen this old guy for quite a while and it's really unusual. Every day he goes out, gets papers, he puts his bins out when on the day, stuff like that. Very, ind- very independent for his age. 70s, 80s. He was late 80s from right. memory. So we go around and we, we look through the door and there's like, you know, the letterbox and there's mail and stuff, but like quite a lot of mail. So at this point you're thinking, aged, there's mail, no one's seen him. Yeah, he's probably going to be inside worst. somewhere. Yeah. So we're banging on the door. When we bang, it's not just a knock. We kick the bottom of the door so it rattles everywhere. So it is a very loud bang. No answer. Okay. So, due to obviously the concern, we put the door in to go in to try and find him. We put the door in, but it was a composite door. So, you're whacking at it, you're whacking at it, you're whacking at it. And the door doesn't go in. The sort of wall around it just falls in. Right. Right, because that's how sturdy they are. They're a nightmare. So, that goes in eventually, and it's an almighty bang. And then, once you're inside, it's what I like to call room roulette. But was there any sort of smell? at this point there was no smell at this point so we've played room roulette which is you'll take what you'll sort of alternate between rooms because obviously no one wants to stumble on someone who's potentially dead so each right so you don't go in every room together that's not how it works no you'll just do it until you either search the whole house so they're not there or you find them right so I then open this door upstairs we did downstairs absolutely fine and do this door upstairs and I look on the bed and there's what looks like a figure in the bed with quilts pulled over him. So I'm thinking, oh God. And we were really loud, we were shouting his name, everything. And I get there and I go over to the bed and I pull the quill off him. There's another layer on top of him. So I do this and there's about four or five layers. I passed the parcel with your right. body. 
genuinely there was I think there was four or five like layers on him. Not all quilts, there were like a couple of sort of like thin sheets and stuff. And I pulled the last one over and then he wakes up and goes, What are you doing? <laughs> like that. I've never been so scared in my life. You've been shouting everything. Yeah, we were shouting. We put the door through and like literally we had neighbours coming out like the houses going, oh, what's going on because of how long we've been. And literally I go upstairs, unravel him and then he wakes up and goes, oh, I'm freezing. <laughs> Do you mind? No. So I was like, I didn't expect it because wow. like as I was doing it, he just opened his eyes and I just thought, Jesus. But he wasn't concerned with anything else. It was just, no, do you mind putting the like, trying to get like, some kick Exactly. Here. And I'm thinking, Jesus. So I went, why did you sleep like that? And he went, oh, I've always done it. I thought, well, okay. He literally had, it wasn't just to his neck where you could see his face. It was all over him. So I don't know how he could be comfortable. I don't know. I found it quite impressive to be fair. But like I said, I was so surprised like when he just woke up, I thought, God. Did you jump like? I jumped, no, I proper shit myself because I just didn't expect it. I always got me batting out to him over the head, zombies on the You shit yourself, then there was a smell in the room, I bet. Yeah, I think there was. Oh. <laughs> what, what, what happened? Why? Why had he not been heard of for so long then? He'd just not been well. So he'd just stayed in bed for so just been how long have you been there? Uh, I think two days. He was saying two or three days. Right. He'd obviously been eating and stuff because there was stuff next to his bed. But and then what happens after that? Do you have to, do you just say, okay, he's alive and then you leave? No. So um, what we did is we have to make sure there's things in place to sort of help support him if need be. Yeah. So we do all that and we do the referrals for that. And then obviously because we made a mess of his door and his wall, uh, we've got to make sure that gets sorted. So we arrange for someone to come out, basically put a big piece of wood over it and then housing come out then and sort of fix it all. Right. So is he still alive, do you reckon? God knows. Probably in bed. <laughs> yeah, probably in bed, wrapped up still. <laughs> God. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, that's, that is a shocking one. It was freaky. Yeah. That is some other film, someone alive, that you... Uh, your proudest moment, playing for rugby, playing playing rugby for Malta and joining the cops. Yeah. Would you consider yourself Maltese? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, I've... I go every year, I've got a lot of family over there. Um, that's where, like I said, me, me mum, granddad, all that side are from. Um, yeah, I mean, the country means a lot to me. And like I said, playing for the country was... I did it as a bit of a joke at first, just to sort of get away. And, you know, I ended up enjoying it. And then on the first game, which was against Belgium in Leeds... Um, did you go to it? I did, yeah. Yeah, you, Adam, and Josh, was it? And no, me, Adam, and his dad, I think he was. Oh, right, yeah. You scored a try in that game. I did score yeah. a try, yes, I did. I've got the no video. surprise there, by the way. I've got a video on the phone, actually, of when they announce your name on the yeah. tannoy that you scored the try. And we yeah. just give it a little cheer. It's a great, yeah, it was a great moment, that. I think yeah. that was, you know, it was, it was sort of a really nice, you know, moment. Was that uh, the first game you played for months? That was my very right. first game. Glad I was there for it. Thanks. You know your mates are. Yes, you do. <laughs> Great advert, Carlin. <laughs> I think it's Carlsberg. Is it Carlsberg? No, you're right, it's Carlin. It is Carlin. All right. <sighs> um, when, when did you realise you were eligible to play for Malta? Um, so, a guy called Parks, um, he got in touch with me one time and uh, 
we were talking because I was in Malta at the time and I, I knew him previously um, because, I mean, once, when I was 16, obviously, you know, Will signed for Salford and ended up going on doing really well. Um, I ended up getting released. So I potted around and went for a few trials after it with a couple of clubs and sort of didn't get anywhere with them really. And he knew someone, one of the clubs was Keithley, Keithley Cougars, um, and he knew a lad called Frank at the club. So we just got chatting, and then obviously I got chatting to Parks from there, and then I was in Malta one year, and he didn't know I was Maltese. So he's like, oh, what are you doing there? So I was like, oh, family are from here. So we, I just explained that obviously that's where they're from. But it turns out his parents are Maltese. So it was that small little connection, and then he said, look, come down, we're doing um, sort of some like trials, some sort of run through stuff like that. Um, we'll see how you get on and then we've got a couple of games that year to go to. So I was like, right, okay. Um, one of them being obviously the Leeds game, uh, the one in Leeds, one in Leeds yeah. yeah, against Belgium. Um, so that was my first game to be fair. Were you nervous? Yeah, I was really nervous to be honest. It's, um, it's even though I've played fucking countless rugby matches prior to that I was I don't think I've ever been as nervous to be fair and it was all it was was a friendly it wasn't anything sort of major do you know what I mean was it was it the hardest game you ever played in like was it a totally different level of skill um higher standard sort of thing I mean I don't know I mean it probably was uh, at the time um because quite a lot of their players were from like the League One, um, which is under the Championship over here, so it's a decent sort of level to play at. So a lot of them have played quite a lot, you know, regular with each other, um, and we were kind of sort of there was a few of us with a bit of experience, and then there was a couple sort of the Maltese lads again with next to none. Mm. So you had to drag sort of them lads through to try and, you know, do it. And to be fair, we won. We won by a drop goal, actually. I think it was 37, 36. Yeah, I remember, yeah. So, it was a good... Tense game. It was, it was tense, but no we did dodgy, it, No so. dodgy Spanish officials No, there was not, so... Um, was all your family there? Uh, I know my dad come up um, to watch it. I think my mum was away at the time. Damn it. Oh, man, what are you doing? Well, we were there. I know. Um... And then, obviously, Ryan's Ryan, so don't know what he was doing. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd play rugby, like, at that level? Because um, in school, right, honestly, you were... I mean, Will Will was talented, and there was a few talented rugby lads, but I always thought you were the one, in terms of rugby, I mean, because I, I was in your population, yeah. seeing you play, you were the one who was playing, no one could stop you when you when you got the ball in rugby. I think... You were called Tank on you for a while. I think, for me, I never... It, it's very hard and now if I ever have children in the future who do sports you've got to I think when you're at sort of that age of 15, 16 you've got to sort of you've got to know early on if you're going to fully commit or not um, and I just wasn't that committed so when you know when they say committed it's got to be diet your training stuff like that I love training I did love training there was no issues with that. It was like sort of your diet and stuff like that. That mine was awful. It was out the window. 
And I think that's the difference. You've got to get into that sort of professional sports person mentality from such an early age, which is really hard because, you know, at 15, 16, all you want to do is go out and mess around with your friends and Mm -hmm. that's it. So, you know, it is difficult, but I think that, that is genuinely the difference between either going quite far or not. Unfortunately for me, I, I just wasn't into it that much. Yeah, well, still, mate, you played at an international level. It's a very proud moment, and you've done really well. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, no one can ever take that away from me now. Um, I have enjoyed it, and like I said, it's got me travelling a little bit to play games, so and make some decent memories and meet some decent people, so... No, it is one of probably my proudest moments. Nice one, and you said joining the police as well, did did you always want to join the police in school? Yeah, essentially, like when I left, um, when I left high school, I did. But at the time, the police weren't taking on. It was it was kind of hard to get in. It was like a recruitment freeze, stuff like that. So it was a bit limited in what I could do. I ended up joining um, the civil nuclear police in Cumbria, um, and that just turned out to be a bit of a a bit of a just a nonsense job to be fair I was going to ask you about that because I remember when you were there and it seemed like you'd done great how old were you when you, when you got that job I was 18 and then turned 19 so literally to get in the police at 19 is really well isn't yeah it? I mean with regards to that um, that force there they're, they're just sort of armed security that really but they have to have the name as police because they carry guns is it like um Hot fuss where they're just chasing after sheep and stuff like that. Not even that. You just you sat at a gate and that was it. And you protect the nuclear sites. Um, what I will, what I won't downplay is to do that though. You have to do the national accredited firearms course, um, which I did, and that's the same as you know an officer in GMP, Liverpool, wherever. Um, so I did that course at nineteen. So I was one of the youngest people to ever do that course. Really. Is there any sort of record book with your name? Uh, I don't know if there is or not, there but be. I remember speaking to the inspector of the course, um, and he was the one who told me, so... Well, that's, well, that's um, Yeah, it's quite an achievement, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, that's yes. one good thing that had come of it. So why did you quit? It just wasn't for me. I wanted to... Um, and he, I, For me, I need a job where it changes daily, and I'm always on the go. Maybe I've got ADHD, I don't know. Mate, you worked at one file with me for... I know. That was the same every day. It was the same copy and paste, copy and paste. Literally. Listen to Rob go on in the back. Oh, Look God. at... Oh, God. <laughs> you know. Poor, um, what was his name? Uh, the one who used to get terrored all the time off Chris. Scouse lad Steve, was it? <laughs> yeah, poor Steve. <laughs> he was the scapegoat of that company. He was, he was blamed for everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it just wasn't for you though. This other, this other job, uh, it just wasn't for me. And um, when when you left, we were all because we didn't know. We just thought you were in the police down yeah. down wherever it was. I'm yeah. say down south. I don't know where Cumbria is. Yeah. Well, it, all the training was down south, and then Cumbria is obviously north, isn't it? Oh yeah, obviously I knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Geography is not my strong point. Oh, I thought that man. Um, I remember when you quit though. There was like a big, I won't say conspiracy, but everyone was wondering why is he quit. It's not the reason. Yeah, I remember people saying, what cloud have you left under? I think it might have been you, actually. You said it to me, so. Well, I just always thought, there's more than meets the eye, that's why you've got this mint job. Because I didn't know what, what you were doing. Yeah. I just thought you were in the police and you were, I knew you were firearm trained. 
So I'm thinking, why has he left the boy? He's got this mint job. Oh, we get paid most money out of any of us right now. He's he's got this most interesting job, and now he's left. Something something's going on here. Yeah. I reckon something dodgy happened with your sergeant or something like that. <laughs> um, on a cold Tuesday night in Cumbria. Oh, but no. Get that fire on, Jake. Come, <laughs> come close to me. Oh, stop touching me, battered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, I still kind of think that that happened. But. No, honestly, there's nothing that exciting. It just wasn't for me, and then. Obviously, being 19, living in Cumbria, which it wasn't for me at the time as well. There's not a lot to do with it. At the time, I didn't like going out for walks. I didn't like doing anything like that, the exploring. So all there was to do is literally every day go to the pub. And we, we were at that age as well where everyone was going out every weekend. We just turned yeah. eight, 19. We're, yeah. you know, we're at that daft age where we... It was all new to us, wasn't it, the nightlife? I think you were missing a bit of that, weren't you? Yeah, because I ended up deleting Facebook for a period of time because I'd go on Facebook on like a, a Friday, Saturday night whilst I'd just finished a shift and have to go to bed to get up the next morning. Right. And then I'd see everyone there like posting pictures on a night out. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Or the Ricks, classic the Ricks, but... Oh, the Ricks. No, it was stuff like that that really made me start getting homesick then, thinking, do you know what? I genuinely don't like up in Cumbria. don't like the job. Mm. And then, once you don't like all that, it just snowballs, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it must be, yeah, when you're in bed waking up to go to work, you've got to... <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, your sergeant took all the quill all night, and you took... <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. Going cold and miserable. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll have to cut this bit of that's proper baby laugh. I think you keep this going, I think you keep it. I might do, but it's just made me laugh. I've made myself laugh there, which I do quite often really. No one else laughs, so that's the issue. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Jesus, compose yourself, man. <laughs> I'm not very professional, am I? Oh. <laughs> it's just the idea. The idea of you. <laughs> you be better with your side. <laughs> come on for a podcast and he's just laughing at his own jokes. What's this? <laughs> oh, man, I've actually got tears in my eyes now. God. <laughs> oh, professional. I'll definitely cut some of this out because it's gone over too long but oh god the thing is we're going to carry on now and I'm going to ask you and it's just going to make me laugh <laughs> now right I've composed myself so the happiest I'm fucking out stop envisioning me with the sergeant will you Jesus oh dear <laughs> Who's on what side, by the way? I don't know, mate. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just for the record, he's been laughing now for about five minutes. I can't help it. Oh, God, you've got to laugh. I'm just worried. if There's not long to go now, and I'm just hopefully I can make it through. Right. So... Now, you say your happiest moment was um, the birth of your dogs. Yeah. Now, I know we weren't going to go through this whole podcast without mentioning uh, Izzy Bear and Betty Boo. Glad you got the names right, because Georgia doesn't. <laughs> really? What, what does she call them? She calls them Izzy Boo and Betty Bear. Oh, well, Betty Bear does sound... Well, yeah, wait, maybe it can't. Would you not consider changing that to Georgia's oh, no. version? No, for mine. Rule that relationship with an iron fist, Oliver. <laughs> Cut that one out. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's staying um, What kind of dogs are they? Labradoodles, mother and daughter. Right, and how long have you had her? She's ten now, is her, and Betty's seven. Right, so when did, is he, because when you say the birth of the dogs, mm. you gave birth to the dogs, didn't you? Not me personally. Did you not? No, I didn't open my legs and the dog spit, spit out. <laughs> no, but you... you. <laughs> <laughs> I helped Izzy with, in, you were in her labour, let's Yeah, say. you were the midwife. I was. Yeah. So, when did Izzy get pregnant? Uh, we don't know. As bad as it sounds, we're going to sound like really bad dog owners now. But at the time, Izzy was living with Ryan and he had um, the father called Frank. Fr- Frank was what? toy poodle size and obviously Izzy's like a Labrador size so we didn't think it was possible but he did somehow and um, it was leading up to it my brother's girlfriend at the time Claire she she kept going oh I feel something moving in the stomach and I'm like oh no just you're just chatting shit really and then I remember one night I was just literally stroking and she was cuddled in watching TV and I, I was literally stroking her and I felt something bulge from my stomach and I thought that's fucking hanging <laughs> so I took her to the vet the next day and the vet went um, essentially he did a test which is to shove his finger up essentially mm. and that can usually tell him if they're pregnant or not don't know how but he went oh I can't tell if she is so that test didn't work on her right so the vet couldn't tell if the dog was pregnant not by that test so right. the next options were you could pay £600 for a, C, uh, for a scan, which would then tell you if she's pregnant, but it wouldn't tell you how many. Or you could pay £2,000 for a x-ray, which would tell you if she is pregnant and exactly how many she had, she's got. Which one did you go for? Well, I looked at her and I thought, by this point, they were becoming quite frequent, the moving in the stomach. So I knew she was pregnant then. So I didn't go for any of them. Literally two days later, I got a phone call off Ryan in the morning at like half five saying, Izzy's just stood there screaming, screaming, screaming. So I drove around and I got there and we built her a little den, um, like with a bed and sort of extra old sort of towels and stuff just to get comfort. And lo and behold, about five minutes later, um, she had the first, first one. Um, and it obviously come out in like jelly sack, but she didn't know what to do. So what we did was we, we tear the sack a little bit just so the dog can breathe. And then she did the rest. And she, the, what they do is they eat all the, the, the sack. That's disgusting. It is, but it's full of nutrients. Right. So they eat it all and then she licks the, like the pup and then the pup's fine then. If it's fine, it's fine. If not, it's... Uh, and then she literally, what they say is, if there's a two-hour gap between, if there's a, the, a puppy's born and then there's a two-hour gap, then there shouldn't be any more. So she had three pups, and then there was like a two-hour and ten-minute gap. So we thought, oh, she's just had the three. And when she was having the three, um, did you have no idea how many was going to come out? You didn't know if it was one or no, two or three or how? No idea. So a dog can, I think it's up to 12 it can have. Really? Um so we weren't sure and then literally like I said it was two two hours ten minutes something like that and uh, she had the, the fourth one and then very shortly after that she had the fifth so she had five in total um, 
So it wasn't planned, this pregnancy. No, this pregnancy wasn't planned. <laughs> Frank was your brother's dog, was Frank the father. Frank was the father. Right. Um, yeah, and obviously Izzy was the mum, and this uh, worked out. But what, when, um, so when the puppies were, were coming out one by one, and what was supposed, are you supposed, I mean, I don't even know, are you supposed to yeah. take a dog to a vet to deliver puppies are he's probably no, expected to do it yourself yeah I really? mean because you know you don't do a lot the dog does everything for you right. so literally like I said all we had to do the only thing we had to do was tear the little sack on the first one because she, she was confused she didn't know what to do and then she then ate everything else licked everything and then then she knew then what to do so the next one come instantly she's eating away at the store and then the dog can breathe. So they essentially right, deliver the dogs themselves as well. Uh, yeah, but you you just got to be there as a bit of a, a standby thing just yeah. in case. But um, it's common to have like a run of the litter as well. Um, and sometimes if the run isn't healthy enough, the mum will kill it. Really? So the 24 hours after that was quite sort of stressful really because... Do you not just keep the puppies away from the dog? It needs, well, you probably could, but what the the dog's natural instinct is, you've got, they've got to share the milk out that they're producing with the other pups. Now, if one, she believes one to be like a liability, not likely to survive, then she'll sort of just end it so the others have more chance of survival, nutrients and stuff, yeah. So that night, we had a spare room at the time and, uh, we had her in there because it was away from everyone and stuff. You know, we thought that's what she wanted to not be disturbed. That night, I stayed there that night on the couch, and she about one o'clock in the morning, she ran in with a puppy in her mouth, but the head was in her mouth, and all I could see was its back leg and little tail sticking out. So I was thinking, God, like, is she trying to kill it now? So Ryan and his girlfriend at the time were proper panicking to the point where I lost it with him. I was like, you just need to go away, like, because you're doing my head in. Mm. Um, and all it was was she just didn't want to be left alone. She wanted to be near us. So she'd, she'd take the pup out, I'd take the puppy back, and then she'd bring another one out. And it was just like that until I eventually moved them all to where I was. And then she was absolutely fine. Mm. And then when I say the happiest, it was like, literally, I love dogs and... For like, we kept the puppies for 10 weeks and it was absolutely great. You'd walk in, you'd see the five little heads popping up and then, you know, they end up getting their own little sort of characters and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a really good time, to be fair. So, um, you kept his, uh, Betty, sorry. Yeah. Um, what order was, did Betty come out? She come out, so the first one was... Um, the first one was Bella, which was the heaviest one, that was a girl. Then we had uh, Venus next. Um, um, yeah, so it was Venus next. Then it was Joe, Wesley, and then Betty. Betty was the last one. Right. Um, so how come you decided to keep Betty? It wasn't really planned. Uh, because what we did with, with the dogs, we didn't sell them for profit. What we were saying to people is, look, obviously... We've got to get all the mats, got to get all the injections, stuff like that. Cover them injections. That, you know, cover the vet bills and the sort of maintaining, like bringing the dog up, and that's fine. Because we never did it intentionally to make, like, we never did it to make money. 
it was an accident and so we ended up getting rid of three of them to people we know so we still see them every now and again. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, which is really nice. Does Izzy know? Do you reckon they know? Yeah, because my, my mum's friend, uh, she has Venus and she brings her around every now and again and she run, like she just knows there's something weird but she, she does know, I think. Well, I like to think she knows anyway because yeah. she's always really playful with it. Right. Um, and then obviously we kept better. Um, yeah. Was it hard giving the the dubs away? Yeah, um, I mean, I used to love Venus like loads, and I, even though it went to my mum's friend, I was in tears when I had to give her up. Mm. It was like you have the dog for ten weeks, and it's not a long time, but they grow their own little characters in that time. Yeah, um, you know, and it was good. And my panic was how Izzy was going to cope after it. Um, how was she? She was fine, to be fair. I think she was fine. I think she it, we timed it quite right. I think we got to the point where she was happy for them to leave. Yeah. And so you were so you come up with the names though. Does um does the new owner have the choice to make a create a new name or is it just respect yeah, so, to say? No, I mean to be fair, um, Venus has remained Venus. Wesley's stayed Wesley, and Bella has stayed as Bella. Um, yeah, so everyone's everyone's kind of kept their sort of names, really, which is quite nice, really. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, a, that is a happy moment, though, to see the birth of uh, all your puppies. Yeah, I do like my dogs, that's why. I know you do, you love them. Um, well, Jake, that is it. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on, but before I let you go, I'm just going to ask this to everybody. Any words of wisdom? Um... I'm going to quote Mandy again on this one. Okay. When one door shuts and the one opens. Brilliant. Jake Lynch, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us.